No, there are so much in that song. He is my song. No, there are so many songs about so many things. And I sing about things. But you know when your song is about Jesus, it does something inside you that no other song can do. So when you're singing this week, I want to tell you, if you start singing about Jesus this week, wherever you are, something will change within you. God will do something within you. Whatever your situation, whatever, you can sing a lot of songs and there's nothing wrong with some song, but you know what? Nothing can touch your spirit, your soul in a way that singing and exalting Jesus does. You know what Jesus said, and he was speaking prophetically about Calvary, but it's more than that. He says, if I am lifted up, I will draw men to myself. You know what happens? When we lift him up, something lifts us up into a new realm and a new dimension where he is. Yes. So this week, you may be feeling a downer this week. You won't feel as good as you do this morning. Sometimes this week, I want to encourage you, just start singing about Jesus. Sing a song to him and something will change within you. Amen. I also love the part, never, never let us down. Listen, I could ask, shut your eyes, everybody. I'm not going to ask you to bow your head. Hands up if you've ever been let down by somebody and we could all put our hands up. I could then say, hands up if you've ever let anybody else down. And we could still, if we're honest, all put our hands up. There's only one who will never, ever, ever let us down. His name is Jesus. Amen. Okay, you'll probably enjoy that more than you enjoy the preach, but hey. Yeah, okay. Then, uh, Kerry's done a great job leading it. This is her 29th, well, it's not hers, it's her and Billy's 29th anniversary today, I believe. Anniversary. Okay. And in all that time, they've only let each other down once. <laughs> and the next 29 might be twice. Okay. I'm going to read from the end of chapter 2, then just make some comments after that for a short while. My short while might not be the same as your concept of a short while, but we'll do with that. But she'd be up on the screen. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord was added to their fellowship, those who are being saved. You know, if you've been part of our theme for this year, has been strength, stretching and strengthening. Uh, based on Isaiah 54, 2 and 3, we believe it's a portion that God has given us not just for this year, but we'll uh, unpack it in days to come. But it's a significant scripture for us. And we've looked at various areas I've been stretched, I've been strengthened. Over the next three months, we're going to look at strengthening our culture and our culture values at New Life. Culture is incredibly important. In every organization, church, business, home, school, sports team, political party, etc., etc., has a culture. Sometimes with culture, you can't quite define it, but you feel it. You feel a culture, it's there. Your culture is either 
asylum made by design or default, but everything has a culture. At New Life, we want a culture, a good culture, a God-honoring culture, which is by design and not by default. We want to design a culture in the house which is God-honoring and uplifting and pleasing. And as we've moved from COVID, moving to future, there's been like a, a reset and believe myself and other leaders think it's time that we looked at how we strengthen the culture in our house. You need vision, you need purpose, you need mission, but it has been said often that culture will eat vision for breakfast. Culture trumps vision. What do you mean by culture? It's what you are, it's how you behave, it's, it's the, the feel, it's what you do with what you believe. We've got five definitions from the dictionary. There's a million definitions in dictionary, but I'm just doing an introduction today on what we mean by culture. And there are five definitions of culture. The characteristic features of everyday existence shared by people in a place of time. Number two, the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize an institution or organization. Number three, the way of life of a people, including their attitudes, values, beliefs, arts, science, modes of perception, and habits of thought and activity. Four, the way of life, especially the general customs and beliefs of a particular group of people at a particular time. Number five, the attitudes, behavior, opinions, etc., of a particular group of people within society. Putting it simplistically, culture is behavior. It's how we act, it's what we do, it's how we do what we do. It's how we practice what we preach. And if your practice is different from your preach, your culture is your practice, not your preach. Your culture is what you do, it's how you act. And we can feel cultures, you can go to different cultures. I'll use David, my son gives us a great uh, illustration and I'll steal it from him in case he wants to use it because if he's got the cheek to go to Mallorca with some of the young adults for a week and miss Sunday church today, okay, I'm going to steal what he would probably share when he's speaking. But every place, but he says, McDonald's has a culture. If you go in, they'll blow cold air. They'll make you sit at uncomfortable tables and chairs. Know why? Because they want you in and out. They don't want you to sit there for the whole night. That's a culture, it's a behavior, it's how they act, it's what they are. There's a purpose behind it. It's there, come in, get your food. There's a reason we call it fast food. Get in and get out, really. That's the culture of McDonald's and other places have them, but that was a good one. I'll let him use the other ones he uses as well. It's behavior, it's how we act, what we do, it's what we tolerate, what we don't tolerate. It's what we accept and what we don't accept, how we practice, how we live, how we do it. It's a how to what we are about, how we go about doing it. And we read scripture, if you're reading our daily readings of Corinthians this month, and if you read Corinthians, you'll see culture in the, in the church. I've read Acts chapter two, and I'm gonna comment on that in a little while, but the Corinthian church, as Paul's writing his letters, the first Corinthians and second Corinthians, is writing, and you get a picture of the culture within that church. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul's writing to correct the church in Corinth in its less than perfect culture. If you look, there's disagreements, there's selfish ambitions, there's carnal attitudes, there's behaviors that are not right, there's immorality. There's a recognition that your culture's not right here. Your culture's not good, and he writes to put some correction into it. Listen, perfect culture can't exist because it's imperfect people that we have in churches. But you can work at making it better. 
And Paul wants a culture and he writes to them about your culture's not good and this is what you need to do and we can learn from it. But if we go to the Acts chapter two, briefly and look at what their culture was. We have culture characteristics. We all need to be culture characters, but we see some culture characteristics here. The Holy Spirit had been poured out. Peter had preached, 3,000 got saved. We came to faith in Jesus and get baptized. And it's like, what happens now? What do we do now? How do we behave? What kind of culture do we want to have in our church and our get-togethers we meet together? And our scripture highlighted some culture characteristics. They're the culture of value in the Word of God. It says the apostles' teaching was the first thing mentioned. They preached. They had a culture of we honor the Word of God. We respect and place value on the Word of God. Now the culture which valued fellowship. They shared their meals together. They had life groups, so to speak, in houses, as well as meeting together in the temple. They, they valued fellowship and getting together. There was a culture of getting together. They had a value of celebrating, breaking the bread, communion, the Lord's Supper. We we're going to do that. And then this month, as a notice went out. There's a culture of praying. They prayed regularly. They didn't minimize prayer. They upped prayer. They didn't talk about prayer. They prayed. There was a culture of, and so often we can talk about things, but we're just talking about them instead of doing them. They had a culture of prayer. They knew that a culture of honoring, teaching, fellowship, breaking the bread, and prayer. These things, that was a culture. That is what they were about. That's how they practiced. That's what they did. They had a culture of praise and worship. They had a culture of worshiping God. We read this, all the while praising God, i.e. all the while. It's not now and again we'll praise God. It's not what you do now and again which forms your culture. It's what you do on a regular basis that forms culture. It's what you do on a regular basis that makes you what you are. And I've said this before in the illustration, the Commonwealth Games, maybe you've been watching it, maybe you haven't. I've watched a bit of it. And there's people who have been winning medals. But they don't win medals because of what they did that day. They won medals because of what they do every day. They have a culture of discipline, of training, of doing, and it's not what you do on a Sunday, it's what we do every day, and that can help what we do when we come together on a Sunday or any other time. It's what you do every day, which is your culture. And all the while, i.e., it was a habit, it was a culture, they did it because that's who they were. And also had an outward-looking culture. They shared the meals with great generosity and joy, they shared money with those in need. It wasn't about us, it was a generous the attitude of its others and reaching out to help others. So these are culture characteristics of this church. But culture characteristics always lead to culture consequences. There's always consequences with our culture, our habits, our behavior. Every culture has consequence, every action, a reaction, every sowing, a reaping, whatever way you want to put it. The culture basically is the health of the church. Culture relates to health in church. And this church too had great culture, God-honoring culture, God-honoring characteristics in the culture. And these are some of the consequences of a great culture in the church. They had joy. They had joy. There was joy in the house. We already mentioned it, but there's a joyous feeling expression in church of the good culture and honoring of God and doing things right. There was joy in the house. Listen, if you only had joy in the house, that's a great consequence of a great culture. 
If you came to church and you had a joy in the house, that'd be great, wouldn't it? At least you'd feel better when you went home than you did before you came. That's the very least. There should be a culture in this house which causes a consequence of joy rather than, oh no, I'm dreading going to church. Oh, I wish I hadn't gone to church. At the very least, if you don't get anything else, I've said this before, but if you get nothing else out of the church services, if you're a visitor, at the very least, I hope you feel better when you leave than you did when you came. And we should, because there's something about coming together and something about there should be a culture where there's joy in the house. But also, they had goodwill with all the people. Wow. There's favor with all the people. I'd like to get favor with some people, but just a favor with all the people is a wow. They had favor. No, why? Because there's something, if they've got a healthy, God-honoring culture, which is healthy and joy and practice, people will look and say, wow, that's attractive. They might not get all we do. They might not understand what we say. They might not believe everything we say. But people can look and say, no, but they've got something that I've not got. And also, did salvations. God was adding to them on a regular basis those who are being saved. How incredible is that? Their joy, the consequence, their joy in the house. People looked favorably and said, hey, there's something I've got. And God's favor was on them, and he added people to them. You know, the culture you have at home or in church has consequences. There's always fruit of the culture. The fruit might always be good, but there will always be fruit from the culture and house and church and business and work, whatever. The culture in the house is important. How we behave, how we act, our attitudes and actions what we accept, what we don't accept. And I'm just giving an introduction to culture this morning. But we need to cultivate a good culture. Cultivating means to plant, to tend, to harvest, or to improve plants by labor and skill. To improve so that the physical condition of the planting is better. It's about an atmosphere and cultivating an atmosphere where there's growth can take place. It's digging into or cutting existing soil beds to better prepare for planting. It's working so that it can change the atmosphere, the soil, and what's around so it's conducive for fruit and flowers to grow. That's why we need to be cultivating good culture. Good culture characteristics lead to good culture consequences. But you know, my last point, and this is a quick preach today, you'll be glad to know. We need a culture commitment. We need to commit to a good culture. The key to all that I've said was evident in the first five words we read. All the believers devoted themselves. All the believers devoted themselves. I.e., there was a commitment from the church members, so to speak, to buy in, to endeavor, to work at, to commit to the culture values of the house collectively. That a buy in from them, they devoted themselves. You know, it's not enough to come up with ideas, words on a wall. There needs to be a commitment, a devoting of ourselves to practice, to behave in a way which is in line with the created, God given, God honoring culture of the house. 
you can say as much as you like about it. You can stick phrases, and we have got them up there, and we'll unpack them in the coming weeks. But if we don't commit ourselves to doing it, to devoting ourselves to practice it, it'll only be words on the wall or words that we speak, and there'll be no meaning. But I want a house where we're developing a culture which is God-honoring. I want a culture where we end up with this joy and salvations and favor and all goodness in the house. That's the kind of culture I want. You know, part of the problem we have as Christians, as followers of Jesus, three kind of areas which prevent us in some ways by commitment. First of all, we have an attitude that Jesus paid it all. We don't need to do anything. Jesus has done it all. Jesus paid it all. And yes, Jesus paid the full price for our salvation. There's nothing we could do to earn salvation. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's a gift of God. And if you're in here today or you're watching and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your saviour, if you've never asked for his forgiveness, I want to tell you there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. But you can simply today say, Father God, or God, I recognise that I'm a sinner, that I've messed up and that I've before you. But I thank you that Jesus paid the price for me. Thank you that Jesus died for my sins. And I say sorry, I repent, and I ask you to come and be my saviour and to cleanse me and cause me to be a new creature in Christ. And you know what? At that very moment, you become a new creature in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. God has forgiven your past. He's written your name in heaven and your destined for eternity with him. There's nothing you can do. But however, sometimes we think because Jesus did it all, how do we need to quit, commit, or work hard at anything? Because Jesus does it all. Philippians 2 says, Paul writing says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. I've been God with deep reference. Jesus at all, but you need to start working hard at the culture and the way that God wants you to behave. Wrong thinking number two is God loves me. I don't need doing it. It doesn't matter what I do or where I am. God loves me. I can behave any way I want. You know, the Bible says if God, if you, if God loves you and you love him, then you'll ask for which is all time. You love God, you love your neighbor, and you won't do what you want to do. You do what he wants you to do. Romans 12 and 2 says, Don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Because of all God's done for you, verse 1 says, Express his love to you. One version says, Give your bodies to him as a living sacrifice. Be thinking, Why do I need to cultivate? Why do I need to work hard at this thing? It's all about Jesus and he saved me. Yeah, but he's calling you to work it out, what he's put in your heart. He's killing you. He loves you. Listen, you can love people, but you can annoy people who love you by the way you act. And if you really love somebody back, you'll do everything you can to honor and to please them. And sometimes it needs to work at that. I know what I'm doing here is not God honoring, but God loves me. But you can take yourself out of the favor and blessing by going against what God wants you to do. You know, there's favor and obedience. God blesses obedience. And when we do what he wants us to do, and sometimes that is not easy. And then there's another one. Well, it's up to the leaders of the church to make things happen, to create culture, to do everything. It's their job to do everything and create culture and to make it happen and to practice and believe it. Three wrong thinking. First of all, Jesus paid it all. I don't need to do anything. Jesus loves me anyway. And it's up to church leaders to do it all. No, there's a theological term for that kind of thinking. It's called stinking thinking. That's, okay. 
That's the original Greek as well. Stinking thinking. You know, the Old Testament, listen, just a wee aside here. The Old Testament talks an awful lot about the heart. But you know what happened? Jesus came and dealt with the heart issue. And he gave us a new heart. And if you read the letters in the New Testament, so much of it is, you know, you need to change your thinking. The heart issue is dealt with. Jesus Christ has come into you and changing your heart. But you need to start thinking a different way from what you thought. And if you want a culture which is God-honoring us, we need to start thinking more about how do we provide a God-honoring culture in the house. And we need to start devoting ourselves. Oh, no, I don't want to devote yourselves. 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, devote yourself to the reading of Scripture. 1 Timothy 4.15, Paul's writing, devote yourself to these practices I'm telling you about. Throw yourself into this task so that everyone will see the progress you're making. Romans 12.7, devote yourself to serving others. If you're a teacher, devote yourself to teacher. Romans 12.10, devoted, be devoted to one another in love. Listen, I nearly got you to turn around and say something I'm hopelessly devoted to you, to the person beside you, but no. I thought better of it, okay? I, start, I was thinking, thinking, okay? But to be devoted to one another in love. 2 Timothy 4.15, devote yourself completely to your ministry. Archippus, Colossians 4.17, devote yourself to ministry you've got. I.e., work at it, make every effort to do it. Listen, as believers, as part of your life, I'm insane to this one. We need to devote ourselves to create a culture which is honors God, at God and conducive to fruit and to progress and to see God's presence in an ever-increasing measure in the house. But we need to commit to it. It doesn't just happen. We need to cultivate something. We need to work at creating a culture. We need to say that's a yes and that's a no. And we need to be saying, no, what? We want an atmosphere. We want a culture. Something, a feeling, and maybe we can't define it, but there's something in the house. You know what? God's here. There's something of God's here and God's doing a work. And let me put it this way. It's not entirely up to God. It's up to us to create that culture. And when we do that, God will turn on. Yes, Jesus paid it all. But now we have to devote ourselves to ministry, loving, serving, encouraging to the culture you want to have in your church. Paul constantly challenged when culture was less than what it should have been in the New Testament. And as you read the letters, you'll see that. Here in your life, we need to strengthen our culture. The band are going to come up. I told you it was a quick one to them. We will unpack this, unpack this more in the coming weeks because culture we'll eat vision for breakfast. Yes, we need the vision, and we'll unpack more of that later, but we need to strengthen our culture. And that's why we're taking three months to talk about it, to put things in place, to encourage us to build a God-honoring culture, to cultivate a God-honoring culture. Listen, we want to see all the, the things that this church saw, but we're going to look at what it means to be a God-blessed, a God-honoring culture. But we can talk about it for three months. We can. And nothing will change unless we make a commitment to devote ourselves to build a God-honoring culture in the house. It all started in this Acts 2 with they devoted themselves. I can talk to I'm blue in the face, but I can't make you devote yourself. There needs to be something within us. And I'm asking this pastor, leader of this house, if you're part of your life, church, can you come before God and say, you know what? I'm going to devote myself to build a culture in this house, which is God-honoring. And we're going to see fruit 
in the house. And that means not doing things we maybe we like to do because it's against the culture of the house. But it's a culture where there's joy in the house. But more about the favor of God and the blessing of God and the presence of God is in the house. Can we stand for a moment? I could ask for a show of hands. I'm not going to do that, but I want us just to pray over us this morning before the band leaders in the song. Father God, I thank you that you're for us. Thank you that you are building your church. Jesus, thank you the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Thank you you're adding daily to your church still. But Father, in this house, we don't want just to be any kind of We want to be a church which is a culture which honors you. We want to be a house where there's a culture, Lord, which is inducive to you moving amongst us, to you adding to us, for us growing in every area of our lives. Thank you for everyone associated here in your life. Thank you for the blessing. Thank you for the input they have. But Lord, we're believing for more. We're believing for greater. We're believing in every area, in every aspect of our world and our church life. We're believing, Father God, that we can see you do even beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations. But Lord, I pray there'll be something within us which is prepared to make a commitment to devote, to devote ourselves to be culture carriers in New Life Church. In Jesus' name, amen.